not about the trash can. No, it's not. I'm upset. I'm going to keep saying that. That's going to be like a phrase I use in my life. My sister and I actually have a phrase that we use. It's very similar um, where we say sometimes it's not about the horse. And it's from a very specific like story that we have from from like 10 years ago, probably a vacation that we went on where like there was horseback riding and this woman at the resort was like trying to pitch us on going horseback riding. And my sister and I were like, uh, we don't really like horses, like no thanks. And this lady was like, well, sometimes it's not about the horse. (laughs) And like, honestly, deep cut, like she was right. Like now in my life, when I'm in these situations where it's not about sex, it's not about the trash can, it's not about the horse. Like, I always think of that. (laughs) So I love it. Hey, Boo fam. Welcome to Peking. This is Jess, your host, and hopefully one of your best friends at this point. We're in season two. I feel like I've earned it. I'm so happy you're back to see what we have in store for this season. It's going to get deeper. It's going to get weirder. You already know what it is, though. It's it's Peking. It's about low moments in life that are opportunities to grow. We try to do a little bit of self-help, but a lot of laughing along the way. We don't take ourselves too seriously, and... We got more of that in store for you this season on Peaking. Hi, Boo fam. I'm sitting on my couch recording this little intro at like almost 6 p.m. the night before the episode comes out. Your girl is a procrastinator. This is a common theme throughout throughout this podcast. Um, but that being said, I have gotten better. I'd like to flex that I've gotten better at planning my episodes ahead of time, booking my guests, <laughs> booking. It's like I text my friends and they're like, yeah, anytime you want to do it. <laughs> um, but I'm going to call it guest booking. So I've gotten better at booking my guests ahead of time, getting our Zoom calls on the calendar ahead of time and leaving myself enough time to edit. The thing is that I just don't do it. Like I do the interviews when they're scheduled and then I could very well edit it over the next week or two weeks or whatever time I allotted myself. But instead, I wait until the day before because I like to live my life. Not only that, but I've actually been really busy lately with like job search stuff. And somebody kind of said this this week to me. He was like, treat it like a job. Searching for a job is a full-time job, Um, which I've heard in various places, but it kind of clicked for the first time ever because I think I'm actually doing that now. And I do think that I'm gaining some traction in approaching it that way. So cross your fingers for me. Um, But yeah, I've just been really busy and doing a lot of different things at once, which is what I've been wanting and craving and kind of like when I thrive. But it also contributes to my procrastination. If you hear the kids screaming on the playground outside, Sorry, I wanted to record this on the couch. I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, um, the other thing I wanted to let you guys know is that the rest of this season might look a little bit different from how I've done things in the past. The vibes are still the same. I'm still the same. I'm not going anywhere. You're not getting rid of me. But I'm thinking about doing less Just Thoughts episodes. You definitely heard those little kids, didn't you? This playground, there are kids on this playground like 100% of the time. They're never not out there screaming. 
Okay. Sorry. Anyway, um, love kids. Okay. (laughs) So what was I saying? Kids don't listen to podcasts. Like what do I even talk to them about? Okay. Sorry. I'm being weird. Um, basically I'm thinking about doing less just thoughts episodes. Part of this is because just thoughts are more difficult for me to come up with. They're more vulnerable for me, which, you know, I love to be vulnerable. Um, as my Queen Tasha from The Bachelorette taught me to be. However, it can be exhausting and draining and puts me out there for potential judgment, which, you know, is fine. But I just don't necessarily want to do that like once a month, you know? Not that anybody's sending me negative feedback, but it's just more that it's hard to come up with more and more topics that I feel comfortable doing that with. I think I've kind of exhausted some of the topics that I feel comfortable diving into with you guys. Um, Once I have updates on those topics, I can come back and say more, but I don't want to force it. And I feel like it's felt a little bit forced on some of the recent Jess thoughts. So a combination of that and the fact that I actually have a ton of guests lined up for the rest of the season who are all really cool and unique and expand the worldview a bit of of peaking and I really want to make sure to give time to that and fit them in and I also obviously have my body talk book club coming up that's scheduled for the second week of March I believe it is um you should have received calendar invites if you're somebody who expressed interest in joining that you should have a calendar invite for either Tuesday March 8th or Thursday, March 10th to be a part of that book club. If anyone did not volunteer but still wants to, you can reach out to me either through Instagram or if you know me, text me or the peaking podcast at gmail.com email and I will add you to one of those. But those are the two dates, March 8th and March 10th at 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Oh my God, that was difficult. Um, okay. Anyway, that was a tangent, but basically all I'm saying is I have cool stuff lined up and in order to fit it all in, just thoughts episodes might get reduced, but maybe I'll end the season with a just thoughts to kind of conclude everything, just me and you. And you know, there will obviously be a season three. This thing's, we're going to, is there a saying for that? I'm so bad at idioms, guys. Have I ever talked to you about this? I think it's because my parents are immigrants. And so they, I mean, they're very intelligent and fluent in English and in Arabic and at some point also French. So like no shade to my parents' intelligence. It's just that common American idioms are not a thing that we really nail in our household. So I often get them mixed up. And I feel like there's an idiom that I'm wanting to reference here about like keeping the train chugging along or something but I'm probably wrong that probably isn't a saying (sighs) we're just gonna keep going we're you know what no I'm just gonna get into the episode let me quickly introduce my guest for today her name is Natasha PV she is a friend of mine from college we went to Johns Hopkins together class of 2013 um She was always a sweetie pie, and we really had a great time together whenever we crossed paths in college, and we definitely had kind of overlapping friend groups and really enjoyed each other's company. And then after college, I think, you know, kept in touch here and there, but for the last 
five years probably really haven't seen a lot of each other or spoken a lot. But then this past year, because a mutual friend was getting married, we reconnected through her bachelorette party and the wedding. And I was just like, damn, I forgot how awesome Natasha is. Or I didn't forget, but I just haven't, you know, gotten this exposure to her in a while. And it really energized something in me. Like she and I are so similar and always have great conversations about a variety of topics. And I just thought of her when I was thinking of guests for this season because she's such an engaging human being in my life. And I I thought, why not bring that energy of the two of us conversing to peaking? Just so happens that she is in training to become a licensed family and marriage therapist marriage and family therapist. I don't know the correct sequence of that, but she'll talk about it in her introduction. And I thought it would be awesome to ask her some questions about couples counseling, about relationships. Um, We talk about attachment styles. We talk about really important stuff, actually, not only for romantic relationships, but it applies to friendships, to family relationships. And a lot of it is about being self-aware and getting clear on your own values. So I think it's really interesting content. Um, It's less so about her own peaking journey. So this is a bit different from other episodes where usually I dive in with my guests about kind of their story. Natasha does share some of her story in this episode, as do I, but it's really more focused on that content area because that's what she's studying and what her expertise is. And it's something I'm really interested in. So Here's this episode with Natasha Peavy. Hi, Natasha. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hey, Jess. I'm so happy to be here. I, I'm nervous. I'm excited, but I'm just like, I, I feel really grateful that you asked me to join. And I was such an immediate gut reaction. Yes. So you really were. I know. I was like, yes, please. I manifested this. You you did manifest it. I believe in that 100%. And I also feel like, yeah, as soon as I texted you, I was like, no pressure if it's not your thing. And also feel free to like take your time thinking about it. And immediately you were like, yeah. So we love that energy. Say yes to things. Um, well, before we dive in, I'm really excited because I just feel like this topic is so interesting to me. It's also a little Valentine's week. And it's so it's very relevant right now. I feel like a lot of people are thinking about their relationships or their dating life or their singledom or whatever it is. And um, maybe if this comes out after Valentine's Day, so maybe if people were disappointed by what their partner did for them, then we'll have some tips that they can pull from here. Um, but before we dive into everything, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to introduce yourself a little bit, just talk a little about kind of who you are what you like to do, what you care about, um, and we'll go from there. Sure. Um, So I'm Natasha. I'm a marriage and family therapy intern at Regis University in Denver. And so an intern is basically, I've done all of my graduate coursework, um, and now I'm an intern. So I'm a therapist. I just don't get paid for it. And um, so that's cool. (laughs) But, you know, it's all like part part of the process. And everyone who becomes a therapist has to go through that process. So um, I actually am able to offer low-cost therapy for people, sometimes even free therapy. Um, And that's a really awesome thing that interns do is just offer like low-cost therapy to the community. Um, In turn, we get supervised by our 
practice or clinic, and we also get supervised by our school. Um, in my personal life, I am, let's see, I'm a Scorpio. Actually, I, I was going to ask you if you didn't say your sign, I was going to ask you afterwards. Yes. So great. <laughs> so I heard this in another one of your interviews and I was like, oh, I need to mention that because I am a Scorpio sun, Scorpio moon, double <laughs> and um, Sagittarius rising. So I guess like I present as a Sagittarius, but inside I'm like sensitive and moody and emotional. So. Okay. Real quick. I'm a Sagittarius yes. rising also. Oh, so that really makes me feel good about yes. us in the world yes. together. And yes. then also I'm not a, I'm a cancer, but we're both water signs, um, which is kind of like the emotional side yes. of ourselves. This all makes a lot of sense. This for makes so much sense. And I know um, the yes. episode you're referencing because in that episode, uh, my guest was a Scorpio and I remember saying that I love female Scorpios and hate male Scorpios. And I just would like to reiterate that right now. Okay. Please continue. That's beautiful. And that episode, by the way, made me like, it gave me chills. So just oh, whatever we can talk about that after, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so I love to cook. I love to bake. Um, I love to like go on long walks and talks with friends and I love to soak in hot springs and basically just relax. I'm a, I'm a big chiller, <laughs> a big relaxer. <laughs> I like to just sit in different places and I do. enjoy yeah. my life <laughs> and just like feel warm water surrounding me, you know? Um, and I love to refurbish furniture, which is kind of random. I'm kind of like, I did not I, know that. yeah, it's kind of like a newish thing, just, you know, a little crafty thing. Um, but yeah, what else? I am aspiring to be like a master therapist, you know, Esther Perel vibes, mm -hmm. Brene Brown, someone who makes an impact on the world. I see um, that in you. Thank you. Someday we're like 30, 40 years out from that, but oh, that's a long start. time to be working though. I know. I know. We can't happen sooner. That's <laughs> if you could just like snap your fingers I know you would make it happen sooner, but my, my great advice is make it happen sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I like that. Um, I will definitely be sitting with that. Um, <laughs> my, I would say to wrap up my little intro, my, my power phrases for the year, rather than like, well, I do have one resolution, but my power phrase will is inner peace mm -hmm. and get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, because becoming a therapist is truly like the most uncomfortable thing I've ever gone through. Mm -hmm. It requires so much reflection and diving into like your own life and your past and your beliefs and being willing to like change them sometimes and just grow. And it's like, it's a lot. Um, and then of course, being with the, the clients brings up a lot in you. So get comfortable with the uncomfortable. I love it is kind of a guiding light for me this year. I love, I love that. Well, I love the actual phrase itself, but I also love setting like a phrase and what'd you call it? Power words, a, a power word or a power phrase. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And as opposed to resolutions, um, thank you. That was a fabulous introduction to yourself. And I'm very interested actually to hear more as we talk about how working in therapy like bridges into your personal life. And actually maybe that's a good place to start a little bit is how did you decide to pursue this career path? And, 
Um, specifically, how did you zero in on marriage and family therapy as your focus area? Yes. Um, yeah, I think that definitely can set the stage. So I think I, well, I'm a, I'm an Enneagram too. I didn't say that. So I'm the helper type. Okay. Love it. Oh, um, I'm, I'm either a two or a nine. I can never remember. Yes. I'm a, I, really? I, have, I have scored a nine before as well. It's the peacemaker. Okay. And, I'm one of, um, I'm, I flip between those. Yes. Okay. So, so similar. So yeah, being a two, it's like, you just drop anything to help someone. And like, I like, I get uncomfortable if I can't help someone and I want to, I just have that urge. And, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, I kind of had that feeling like, I think it was, it was just sort of instilled in me. I mean, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a second child. So that also, I think plays into it. I'm a middle child. All of these things are actually like therapy concepts that we learn about. Yeah. But, um, I think it was sort of just in me inherently at, ever since I was a kid. Um, and then, when I was in high school, I took a psychology course. That was cool. Like that definitely was interesting to me. Um, and then in college, shout out, that's how we know each other. Hello. <laughs> um, so I took a psychology, like social psychology 101 class. That was and a great class. Yes. I think everyone took that class. Yeah. But after that, I had gone into college with the idea that I was going to be an art history major. And I think that was just because like my mom was like, that's, that's a good idea. That's like a good path. I don't know. Um, I didn't end up being super interested in it. I was blown away by the psychology class. And I immediately went to my advisor and was like, okay, this is what I want to study hundred percent. I could see myself taking classes in this all four years. So I became a psychology major and then, you know, our school is very research heavy, very like science heavy. So nothing was super um, therapy oriented, mm -hmm. but I remember asking one of my professors in junior or senior year, like, how can I do this with people? And I don't know why I didn't just know, <laughs> like, you can just be a therapist. Well, it was a long time ago too. Like, I feel like we knew that therapy existed, but it was way less talked about and yes, probably like none of our friends were really in therapy yet. And if they were, we didn't know about it. You know what I mean? Right. That is so true. I forget that we graduated college quite a few years ago at this point. It's been, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah. It feels like yesterday, but it really wasn't. Um, but yeah, so I think I, I just knew like, I love this topic, but I, I want to work with people. I don't want to work in a lab, in a basement. I think research is really fascinating, but I cannot see myself pursuing this for the rest of my life, pursuing doing these studies and writing like really sciencey articles. Um, so after I graduated, I kind of avoided it for a few years. I just wanted to like work and make money and find my way in the world, become an independent person. Um, I ended up moving to Denver about a year and a half after I graduated or maybe two years after I graduated. And through like a series of events, I ended up meeting this person, um, Megan, who's a friend of mine. And she was kind of like my guiding light. She was in the program that I'm in now and basically talked to me about it a lot and guided me to apply to that school. Mm. And this, I mean, it only ended up happening about maybe five or six years after I graduated. So it took a long time for me to really like get myself to actually do it. Even though every year I was like, I want to do this. I want to do this, but something was holding me back. 
Um, and I just wasn't ready. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, couple questions come up. First of all, how long is the program that you're in and what are the credentials that you'll graduate with? Yes. And I, I forgot to mention why specifically this marriage and family. So mm. I'll cover all that. So the program is three years. Um, it well approximately three years. You can do it slightly faster or slightly slower. It's sort of self-paced, but average about three years. And the credentials I will have are, um, so I graduate. And then after about two years of post-grad hours, like therapy hours, I will take a test and get licensed as a licensed marriage and family therapist, okay. LMFT. Okay. And the reason that I chose this like sector, I guess, of therapy, cause I was, that was part of my, I think part of the reason I was so putting it off is I didn't know which direction to go individual mm -hmm. school counseling, um, like, you know, couples, there's other, you know, other things you can do, but, or, or even just becoming like a social worker, that was right. an option too. Um, and there was all these different people telling me different things like, oh, do this, do that. You know, this degree is better than that degree. And I was very clouded and had no, I had no clarity for myself. So I think moving here to Denver and kind of becoming my own person away from my, mm. my family and away from like what was comfortable for me, it just gave me a little bit of distance and then um, ultimately I decided I wanted to work more with couples and families because I'm really interested in relationships. I'm really interested in like communication and like really um, tactical, I guess, things that you can do to be better in your relationship versus focusing on more of like mental illnesses where yeah. like, you know, if you're in an individual therapy and you have depression or like suicidal thoughts or major, you know, whatever it is, that's more of like the individual focus. Whereas couples and families is more of like, okay, we have this problem as a family. How can we come together to resolve it and like live a happier life? So, yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. And actually a good segue to get a little bit more into the topics around, you know, relationships and how therapy can help relationships and like what you've seen in your work so far and in your studies and research around the topic. Um, I guess a good place to start just based on what you were just talking about is how do individual counseling and couples counseling kind of like fit together? I think I've heard some people say that it's really important for individuals to be in therapy before they enter therapy together in a relationship, but I also know that many times that's not actually how it pans out. Um, so could you speak a little to kind of that dynamic and what you have seen work or what you would recommend, or also like how an, a person might work on certain things in their like individual counseling versus other things with their partner? Yes. Um, I think that they can work together really, really well. Um, I don't know if you have to do one before the other. It probably helps if you've gone to individual therapy, A, so that you know what it's like mm -hmm. um, and you know what can come of it. Um, you kind of like believe in it, I guess, because I think a lot of times couples get to this point where they are at a really bad place and that's when they start therapy. Um, right. So they might be 
there's usually one person that wants to go and one person that doesn't want to go. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that can cause an interesting, create an interesting dynamic where like one person is really into it. The other person doesn't fully buy into it. So I think in that respect, it's really cool if you've had two people who've gone to their own therapy and then they come together as a couple, but that's definitely not always the reality by any means. Um, I think like often people who go start seeing a couples therapist, their therapist will recommend that they go see, like they each see their own person simultaneously because, you know, you're bringing yourself to the couple. So you have to like do your own work too. And you can do a lot of that in couples therapy, but that's, you are not the client when you're in a couples therapy situation, your relationship is the client. Uh. So it's going to be harder to get as deep with like each individual person um, and get, give them the focus that they need. So I think definitely both can work like hand in hand really well. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. And I guess the way that would pan out is like, it, let's say a couple goes to couples therapy and neither of them has done individual therapy before as the counselor kind of gets to know them and their problems and who, what each of them bring to the relationship, then they might recommend based on kind of, Oh, it sounds like you individually are dealing with this. And I think that's something you need to do work on separate Mm -hmm. from what we're doing here in this environment. That makes sense. Right. Cause someone could have like this intense trauma from their childhood that they're bringing into the relationship subconsciously and that can be discussed, but it can't, like, you can't go into it quite as much as that person might need. So, I mean, I know it's, it's a big ask for people to go to not one, but two therapists, but I am always going to (laughs) support the more therapy, the better. Yeah. Um, Okay, great. So that brings me to my next question, which is kind of like, and this is a question that was submitted when I asked the Boo fam what they, what they wanted to know. And it's a common question, I think, too. Um, when do you think that couples should go to counseling together? I mean, my, my personal philosophy currently, and you know, maybe in like five years, I'll be cringing at this, but I really do think that any, any time, any, at any point in your relationship, you should go. I, I think that there's value in it, no matter what stage you're in, whether you're a single person that is looking for a relationship, you could go see a couples therapist. Huh. I mean, they'll work with you individually. They'll just use like a, a systemic mindset. Um, and you could be dating. I mean, you probably, when you're just dating, you know, things are probably going really well. So you probably aren't thinking about that, but like once things start to get serious, I think, you know, once you decide to like move in together or you've been, you know, you've established yourself as a long-term partnership, I think that's totally fair to go because you can always create a more solid, a more strong foundation, whether or not there's an intense issue present, there's always little things that you can iron out. Um, And I think there's something to be said about each stage of your relationship, whether it's getting engaged, moving in together, getting married, having kids, like all these different stages there's going to be issues. So I think setting yourself up for success and like for prevention is always a good idea. Yeah. Um, Obviously if you have an issue, go then as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
okay, I have so many questions that are popping into my head and I'm like, what's the best direction to go? Well, I think one of the things you said that I'd like to hone in on is at at any stage in the relationship, there's going to be issues. So I'd love to dig into that a little bit deeper and talk more about like the types of issues that are common. Maybe there's, maybe you find certain issues are common at certain stages. I think another thing that I'm curious about is something that has always stuck in my brain ever since my therapist told me this, but she's my individual therapist. That being said, she does have a background in like, she works with couples and she has like, you know, a broad background and something that she told me a long time ago that I always think about is she has found that couples very often have one like overarching issue in their relationship and all smaller issues that pop up over time, like end up tying back to that one bigger issue. Um, So I'm just kind of curious, like what your thoughts are on that premise and also in general, like what types of issues you find most often or that are the most interesting to you, or I don't know, let's just start digging into like the problems that people might have. (laughs) For sure. And full disclosure, this is only my second month of my internship. So I have not seen a lot of couples. I actually mostly work with individuals right now Mm, because that is the more common thing. Like people, you know, are more comfortable going alone. Um, But that being said, I think I think what your therapist said does have some definite truth to it from the way I understand it. People have uh, two people in a relationship are going to have like what we call a process. So in school, we talk a ton about this concept of content versus process. Mm. And I don't know if you've heard this before. Uh, I know where you're going because I've (laughs) experienced it in relationships and not only in romantic relationships. Like I think it exists with siblings, with parents, with friends. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's like the idea that, you know, the content is just the story. It's the fluff. It's the the details. It's the like who, what, when, where, why it's, you know, it's just the external stuff. So on that, in that regard, yeah, you could be having like quote unquote different arguments, but they will probably all um, relate back to the, the process of your relationship and how you interact and like your actual underlying experience with one another. It's like, it's a really simple concept, but it's also kind of hard to explain, but it's essentially, if we boil it down, it's basically just like the, you know, external versus the underlying thread. So I think in that regard, um, you could be having a fight about something really stupid. Like the other day I woke up and I had a fight with Alfie about a trash can and it's not really (laughs) about the trash can. Like it's, it's definitely about something when you peel back all those layers, like what is it actually really about? And then, you know, it could just be, it could be one thing. It it could just tie back to so many different things, but it's definitely not about the trash can. So I think in that regard, um, we're not going to be fighting about a trash can every day of our lives, but we are going to have the same like type of argument where we have the same like patterns. So that's my thought on that. I'd like to pause and just say that now I'm considering making the title of this episode. It's not about the trash can, but anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, okay, let's dig into that because I think it's really interesting and sorry, I cut you off. You were probably heading in this direction, but, um, I think you're right. And I, I was watching the new season of love is blind last night 
and there was a couple that was having an argument and not even an argument. They were having a discussion about their relationship. And the one of the people was kind of bringing to light something that had been on his mind. And then his partner, instead of responding to what was on his mind, like what he was bringing to her, she made it about like, I can't believe you're bringing this up now and in this way. And so I feel like his approach was content. And then she came at him with process. Mm -hmm. And then the conversation turned into an argument because one of them is like, no, I want to talk about this thing that's bothering me. And the other one's like, but I don't like the way that you're doing it. And, and I feel like that happens a lot. And I feel like I've experienced it in so many of my interpersonal relationships where like something's on my mind and I want to talk to the person about it. And we end up moving way off topic and like not even remembering what was the core problem, or maybe I remember what the core problem was. And I'm frustrated that we're, I'm not actually getting the opportunity to talk about it because it's turned into like how we're arguing and how we're conversing and how we're communicating. And like, that's the problem that's now taking the spotlight. Am I understanding correctly the difference between content and process? And then like, what are your reactions to that whole thing? I think so. I mean, I'm definitely not a master of it yet, but I do think that you you're onto something with like, if one person's coming at it from one perspective, content, you know, ex external stuff, and like the other person's coming at it from a more um, underlying like reaction, you know, this is like how we're going about it. They're not going to be on the same page at all. So then they're just going to keep going in cycles. And um I mean, I think that's plug where a therapist can come in and be like, this is the content. Let's push that away. Mm. Let's push that away right now. Cause that's actually not the important part. Like you need a little bit to get, you know, a few, few sentences of understanding of like the context of it all. But then that, that person that essentially is like clearing away the clutter for you both to get on that same page and get to the heart of it, which is the process, which is the only way that you're going to make strides in your relationship. Yeah. And yeah, and I totally think that that's the process is like cyclical and a pattern. And that goes to like something I talked about in my last episode, just with my own personal mental health journey of like, I find myself in patterns with my anxiety and with other things. Um, what are factors that influence that pattern in individual people? And then like when they come together in a relationship. So what I'm thinking off the top of my head is like, upbringing, family, um, like traumas that you've been through, but like, can you talk more about how all of that stuff kind of comes together when a couple is dealing with yes, an issue around their process? Yeah, that's a really, oh, you're, you're a good interviewer. Oh, that's, like, that's a nice question. Um, I, I think there's, yeah, I think you kind of nailed it there. Like as a marriage and family therapist slash you can also call it systemic therapy. Essentially what we do is just think of the systems, think of, you know, no person exists in a vacuum. Mm. So yes, I do think there's something to be said about how we are raised. Who were our, our parents? Who were our parents' parents? How did they re relate to one another? How did our parents relate to one another? How did they relate to our siblings? And we relate to our siblings. And I think there's nothing that doesn't play into it essentially. Yeah. Um, 
like I think your culture and your, you know, just anything you could think of. I mean, your attachment style. I know you had mentioned maybe wanting to talk about attachment styles. I think that, play, that plays into it as well. Like if you have um, a certain type of attachment style, like avoidant attachment style because of your upbringing and your relationship with your parents, that can absolutely play into the process that you have in your romantic relationship. And in fact, it will. Yeah. And let's go ahead and dive into that now. I, I'm very familiar with attachment styles and I feel like it's something that's being talked about a lot in like on podcasts in social media. Like, I don't know why, but right now everybody like attachment styles are hot. Um, but can let's take a step back. And if you could maybe spell out what the different attachment styles are for us, and then we can go a little more into like how those combine with one another what influences your individual attachment style and and all that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, it's very, it is very hot right now. And there's a lot of very popular therapy models being like um, that are based on attachment theory, which is really cool. And I think so um, just powerful. So definitely if it, if it's peaking your interest, peaking, peaking your interest, Um, definitely look it up further because it's, it's really cool and helpful, but basically there's secure attachment, which essentially is like your parents met your needs. So both, you know, your fundamental needs and your emotional needs. So you feel safe and you trust people easily. And you're just like, I I trust that my needs will be met. Great. Um, I think that most people aren't like super secure, no matter how hard our parents try, it just, it's, you can't be perfect, um, as a parent. Um, and then there's anxious slash ambivalent attachment. So it's basically like, if you got inconsistent support or inconsistently had your needs met, you grow up to essentially feel like, um, I don't know if my needs are going to be met. So I'm going to be really clingy and really like vocal about my needs. And this can come off as like, you're just really, um, like, the word that's just coming to mind is clingy. I, yeah. I think that's really like um, needy. Probably needy. Yeah. Like just really simplifying it, but just, you know, always upset, feel like, oh, they didn't respond to my text. Now I'm anxious. Now I'm nervous. They're going to abandon me. You just, you know, that people sometimes are there for you, but you feel like maybe sometimes they won't be there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the avoidant attachment is that your needs were I guess, rarely met so that you basically learn to take care of yourself and you grow up to like push people away and not trust people and kind of like make that wall around yourself. Mm -hmm. So um, those are the three. Then there's also disorganized attachment, which is essentially where maybe you had a secure attachment, but then something traumatic happened, like your parents died. And so they weren't there to support you anymore but you're a kid and you don't know that. So then you grow up and you're like, anything bad can happen at any time. And it's just, you're kind of all over the place because you've had this traumatic experience or like an abuse experience, especially if it was your parent, then it's like, okay, the person I'm supposed to trust, I can no longer trust. Mm. Um, So it's, it's a little bit more complicated. Thank you for laying that out. Um, And understood that it's not like an area of expertise for you, but if, you know, so if, if, if you don't have the answer to this question, that's okay, but I'm curious and I'll use myself as an example. I'm curious if 
attachment styles are truly defined at such a young age or if they can change over time. Um, and I guess the reason, I guess that's a two part question, the attachment styles changing over time, because one half of it in my mind, using myself as an example is I feel that in general, my parents met my needs, both basic needs and emotional needs. As I was growing up, of course, no parent is perfect and uh, you know, there I'm sure were gaps and that's not something we need to get into because my mom listens to this. But um, in general, I feel like I was probably raised to be a pretty secure, attached person. But in actuality, like the way that I engage in relationships is quite anxious. And if I am to dissect that in my life, it is a result of the first relationship that I was in, which is the longest relationship that I was in. And the only time that I have been quote unquote in love, um, and how that ended and a lot of the ups and downs that went on throughout the relationship as well. Um, some of those ups and downs had to do with my parents actually. So I wonder if that ties in at all, but it was something that I was experiencing in my twenties. And ever since then, I've, I, I, um, identify as anxiously attached. So when you started to describe disorganized attachment, I was like, oh, okay, maybe it's something like that where like I started out secure, but then a quote unquote trauma happened in terms of like the breakup that I went through and a lot of, a lot of the toxicity in that relationship. And, and that's what landed me here where I'm now anxious, but it's also, again, something that's happened in my adult life. So that's the first part of my, um, can attachment styles change and are they only influenced by your parents when you were young question? I'll save the second part of the question for after this. <laughs> um, I think so. I think that, so I think for the most part, they are defined in childhood, but I, I do think they can change for sure. I think, I, I, I don't think you can just, um, say, Oh, once avoidant, always avoidant. Like that's not fair. Like mm-hmm. that's what happened to you in childhood. And it, it sucks if like you got abandoned and now you have this for life. Like, I think there's definitely a line to, to cross where it's like at this developmental stage, this is like my parents. And then at this point onward, it's, it's me. Mm -hmm. And it's like my work that I'm doing for myself with whether it's self-reflection or learning or working with a therapist, I think you can change. Absolutely. And, um, I kind of, I I definitely understand where you're coming from because I identify as growing up, I think I did have all of my needs met, my basic needs, my emotional needs. I trusted my parents, but then, yeah, I do definitely um, come off as like an anxiously attached person in my relationship for sure. So, Mm -hmm. and, and I like what you said about maybe that is where the disorganized attachment came into play for you. Like maybe that was the change because it was your first love and it was for whatever happened it sounds like maybe something kind of traumatic happened even just the way that it ended perhaps was like the traumatic part of it or how your parents were involved um I just think that that could have been I I don't know for sure but I do think that people can change their attachment styles and I also think that people can have different attachment styles within different types of relationships Mm. Um, I think like you can be securely attached 
to someone in your life and then anxiously attached in a romantic relationship. So, um, I would, I am going to plug the book attachment. I I can like send you the information or maybe it's called attached. Gotcha. It's called attached. Okay. Yeah. I have it. Yeah. I, uh, I think that would be a good place for people who are interested in it, like diving deeper into it. Cause I do think it's, we like talk about it as, you know, these four categories and it's very, I think simplified, but there's probably a lot more to it that we're not getting into. And I do believe though, ultimately that you can change your attachment style. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes into, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, the next part of my question around changing your attachment style goes to what you were saying about having a different attachment style in different relationships. Not only in my mind, it's not only like oh, in my friendships, I'm secure, but in my romantic relationships, I'm anxious. And with my family, I'm avoidant. But I think even like across, let's hone in on the romantic relationship category, like different people that you date and have relationships with can bring out different sides of your attachment, I think. Or, I mean, I guess this is my question. Like, I think in my experience, I've found certain people trigger more of my anxious attachment than other people who actually over time help me to feel more secure. Um, and I wonder if that also maybe has to do with if I'm, let's say I'm across the board, anxious attached in relationships in romantic relationships, maybe it has to do with what the attachment style of the person on the other side is, whether they push me further away and push me more into being anxious or push me closer to security. Um, so could you speak to that a little bit and like how the different attachment styles engage with one another in relationships? Yes. And this is like the crux of, um, this therapy model called emotionally focused therapy, which is very, very popular right now. And definitely like an amazing model, um, <clears throat> especially for couples dealing with intense relationship issues, like affairs and things like that. Mm. Um, and it's basically what you're saying where two people, when two people come together, they, they create a pattern. So, or like a cycle. And that's what, um, in EFT, a therapist is going to basically map out that cycle and show how, you know, if you're bringing this to the relationship, that's how the other person's going to react. So I do agree with you where I think different people could bring out different things in your relationship. And um, I think bringing those to light is what helps us move forward. So if someone is avoidant, I think avoidant and anxious often go hand in hand. And it's just, it keeps the cycle going perfectly. Cause it's like, the more you avoid, the more I'm anxiously like coming to you. And then the more you withdraw and that's just like a typical cycle. So, yeah. And yeah. why is it that way? Why is it a typical cycle? Like, it's so strange to me, but I know in the reading that I've done about this, that it's true that like anxious and avoidance are drawn to each other. Um, but that's like, goes against what the goal is for both parties. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. do you know, like what's behind that? Um, I can take a stab at something. I don't know for sure why anything is the way it is, but something that we recently talked about in one of my supervisions is this concept of like, um, often the thing that draws you to your partner is the thing that will bring you into therapy down the road. Huh. And, um, so I think that's a really interesting thing to think about where it's like, 
uh, on like a very simple level, let's just say, you know, you're like, I want to be more adventurous. And so like, I really want to date someone who's super adventurous because I want them to like make me more adventurous. And then you, it's good. And then it, you grow to resent that because it's like, you just want to stay home and not be adventurous because that's deep down who you are. And then they just want to keep doing their adventurous thing. And so it's, like, I, I hope that that correlation makes yeah. sense. What, what I'm trying to draw here is like, sometimes I think what attracts us is also like the thing that is the problem. Natasha, I've been saying this. So <laughs> <laughs> I, when I reflect on my, the relationship I continually reference, my last serious relationship, um, something that I find really interesting is that I think certain qualities in that partner were qualities that drew me to him. And I found attractive about him when we first started dating. And by the end of it, they were no longer attractive to me. They were actually like annoying. Um, and I, I kind of think about it in this way in my brain, but the way you're putting it is better, but the way that I have rationalized it is kind of like, there's two sides to every coin. And a lot of times somebody's best quality can also be their worst quality. Like I know about myself, something that's wonderful about me is that I'm very open to all different types of people. And like, but I also think that that has hurt me um, because it means that I'm not like discerning enough all the time about like the people that I let close to me. So there's always kind of like two sides to every coin. And I think that ties in a lot with what you're saying of like the thing that can attract you the most to someone can also be the thing that breaks you because it's maybe you're attracted to it because it's actually like kind of different than who you are or than who you're usually surrounded by. And so it's like intriguing and sexy and whatever. And then like at some point it flips. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. And I I think to build off of that, I think that's why it's so important. And something that I, to be quite honest, didn't do enough before I was in a serious relationship was to actually sit with myself and reflect on who am I and who who do I want in my life? Um, I was, you know, like, that's why I think I feel like now I'm going to go off and spin off into this whole other tangent, but Please I think do. Please that's, do. it's so important to just to like know yourself so that you don't rely on someone else to fill those holes or those gaps in like your own life or your own personality. Cause I think we do tend to do that. Like, um, yeah, this person is loud and fun and boisterous and I'm really shy and quiet. So like, that will make me like more social, like, no, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. You know? So I think that's, uh, you know, another reason why, like why I think self-reflection again, like I do believe in the power of therapy, but if you don't, maybe it's just journaling and self-reflection and, um, talking with friends about like, who am I and, and what do I care about? And like, how can I differentiate myself from the person that I'm going to bring into my life so that we don't fall into this? Cause I think we do tend to just fall into these things by default because we're not like the most reflective culture in the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, we also get into relationships really young before we're like fully developed and we know who we are. Mm -hmm. I have so many questions. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it, uh, it's funny that you say we're not the most self-reflective culture because I feel like I am 
dangerously, disgustingly self-reflective. So on behalf of everyone else who maybe isn't doing the reflection, like I got us covered. I have a million (laughs) questions because I think about these things all the time. Um, So I guess one of my first questions is, okay, hmm, there's so many directions I could go. Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I'm nervous now. (laughs) Going off of what I just said about myself, I'm turning this into kind of a little bit of a personal therapy session because I think that it will help us like make some of these insights tangible for people to like have a living example who's willing to share. Yes. So um, something I've been thinking about recently is with the fact that I'm so open-minded as a human being comes a bit of a bit of a challenge when I'm dating, when I'm just meeting new people to be friends of mine and to be in my life where I'm kind of like down for everybody. Um, and I guess my question is like, I find, I think that I'm a person who I know myself really well and I work on knowing myself better every day. And there's a lot of things that I'm into that like are my things. And I've really like leaned into over the last few years being single and doing that work. And I don't want to lose those things if I enter a relationship. And I feel like, like pretty confident in that. That being said, I also think I'm like a very open-minded person where I could kind of like see myself with a lot of different types of people And I could see myself in the long term, like the way that I look at my future, I could see it going a lot of different ways and like being content in all of those different scenarios. But I also know that it's important or people make it seem like it's important to like know what you're looking for. And like, I want somebody who this, this, and this, and I can say those things to some degree, like I want somebody who respects me. I want somebody who treats me kindly. I want somebody, you know, like those types of like emotional, um, emotional competencies, I guess. But then when it comes to more life logistical things, I'm like, I don't know, I'm pretty flexible. Like, what do you think about that? And can you help me? (laughs) I can try. (laughs) First of all, I love when, when you were talking about like you, you know, you know what your interests are. I was like thinking, you know, returning packages, like <laughs> definitely a top interest that I hope you don't lose. Um, Thank you. Okay. <laughs> it's core to my being. I have to keep it. <laughs> um, I think, okay. So what I'm hearing in that is like, you're, you're very open. So there's a, there's maybe, um, uh, what's the word, a balance between being really open to things and the societal pressure to like, know what you want and clearly know what you want. Whereas you're like, I'm open to a lot of different things. Yeah. Is that kind of just like the crux of the. Yeah. And like wondering if that's okay. Cause it's something that I like about myself and, but it's also something that maybe makes me a little worried for like my long-term future. Um, Because I'm like, I don't know, right now, I think I'm open to a lot of different types of people and a lot of different ways that my life could look with those different types of people. But am I like, am I being naive by being that open? Should I be more prescriptive about like, 
well, I want somebody who, and I'll give you real examples, like somebody who makes this much money, has this type of job, has this type of lifestyle, has this type of, um, I don't know, like those, those kind of societal pressure things, as opposed to the things that make up like a human being's heart, (laughs) you know, which I'm like open-hearted to everyone. (laughs) So that's what makes it tough. I think it's all about values. I think it's about, um, like, you know, values versus interests and that kind of ties into the whole content versus process thing in a slightly different way where it's like, I think you know, it it sounds like maybe you are, you have a little bit of, um, concern of like, maybe I'm not discerning enough because I am so open to people. And that's something I think you can definitely work on. You can work on being more discerning by tapping into learning exactly what you value and what you like and what you don't like and being really honest with yourself. But in terms of like, oh, am I too open to all these possibilities? I don't think that's a bad thing at all because A, we think we want a certain thing and then, you know, that person doesn't really exist. And I think you know that. I think you know that deep down, it's not a bad thing to be open-minded. What I think what would be the bad thing is if you were just like, I'll take anyone just to have a boyfriend, right. which right. obviously we know that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's, it seems like, uh, I think it's, it's always a good thing to be open about like interests and the types of lifestyles you might have, but underneath it all, you know, what your what emotional values you're looking for. And I don't think you're going to enter in, into a relationship unless you get those. And once you get those, you've kind of you've gotten what you need. The other stuff is just like hobbies and interests and stuff like that. That to me, that doesn't really matter. I know that might be controversial, but I I have like nothing in common with Alfie, my boyfriend. I really, I feel like we really don't have that many like shared hobbies and maybe we need to find more, but what we have are certain shared values and we have an enjoyment of being together and good chemistry. And like those deeper things I think will outweigh the external stuff no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking about maybe like this person makes a certain amount of money, or maybe it's even something dramatic. Like this person wants to live in another country. Can yeah. I live with that for the rest of my life? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. I don't know. That would be for you to, to decide. But those, again, I still put those things into that external category of okay. if Alfie said, I want to move to Bolivia, because that's where he's from. I would be like, you know what, that might be hard, but I think as long as we're together, we can make that work because that's just like a temporary, that's just, um, that's an external thing to me. And I don't know, maybe I'm again, really oversimplifying everything, but I do think that like really identifying your own values and finding someone who's aligned with those values will supersede everything else. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I'm getting at. And that's a good example to give like somebody who sees themselves wanting to live abroad or live in a city versus a countryside setting or whatever. And it's like, I mean, with that one, I'm like, no, I got to be at least drivable into a city. But, um, so there's certain things that I'm like, I know that that's what I see for my future, but then other things where I'm like, I don't know if you want to, if you see yourself living in abroad for a, a portion of your life, um, it's not something that I'm like opposed to. It's also not something that I like list on my bucket list and my wish list. But that doesn't mean that it's like a no no. And I feel like 
we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. If we have a strong relationship, like we'll figure it out. And I, th- I think that's fair, but then it also gets a little more complicated for me. And I want to like move on to other topics, but like another example, that's a bit um, more divisive or contentious or something is kids. Like I mm-hmm. don't feel that kids are a requirement for my future. I also am not opposed to having kids. I'm kind of like, I don't know. I don't feel like I need to, like, I know some people feel like they were put on this earth to be a parent. And like that, that's something they've always known they wanted. I don't have that in my DNA, but it also doesn't mean that I like won't have kids. And I also feel right now I'm very far from that step in my life. So it's hard for me to evaluate if I, if I want that in the future, but I feel like there's some people who like, that's a deal breaker item for them. And I get it. Um, but I guess sometimes I'm like, should I be more definitive on that right now? Like, am I doing myself a disservice or am I not being like, am I not giving people who I date like enough information or something with the fact that I'm kind of like somewhere in the middle on that issue. Um, and that's one that is weird to navigate. I'm like, I don't know. I could have kids and I could be happy. I could also not have kids and be happy. Like I, I feel that either way I will be happy in my life. Um, right. So it, it, it gets fuzzy. Yeah. Well, I think that's um, it. It's because I keep hearing you say like, you're not decisive or you, you know, you haven't identified because you are so open. It's like, you're um, defining that as being not decided on certain things, but you, you have, you are, from my perspective, you have certain things you just said it like, oh, I have to be in driving distance to a city. Like there's so many things that you are obviously decided on. And just because you're open-minded about something, I don't think it means you're not decided. It just means you're open to either and you'd be yeah. happy with either, which I think is, is great. It just means you're, you're more open. Um, I think, I think it's for some reason it's sitting with me differently than I don't know if I want to have kids to me, that's different than I'd be happy with either one. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just like slightly, there's something slightly different about that. I think it's because what I'm saying is that I've thought about it. Right. Like I've thought about it and where I came out is I would be happy with either one. Yes. As opposed to, I don't know, is kind of like, I need to think about that more or, you know, um, when you're at, I don't know, then that's where you need to do some self-reflection and be like, where do I stand? Even if I stand in the middle, that's, that's still standing somewhere. Yes. This is super reassuring. Okay. I love it. So (laughs) let's keep going and make this less about my internal monologue a little bit. Um, another thing that I was thinking about when talking about kind of being drawn to the whole concept of like being drawn to a certain quality in someone and then that ending up being the reason you go to therapy with them, right? Mm-hmm. Is the idea of opposites attract. Um, I always like, I don't know, it's one of those like kind of myth things. And I don't think there's any, no one has a right or wrong answer to it. It probably depends. But what are your views on that concept? How does it play into this stuff around like, couples working or not working couples needing therapy or not like how much do you need to be similar to a person and in what ways (laughs) yeah as I was thinking about this I was like 
I realized like, you know, what are we talking opposites of? Like, are we talking opposite hobbies, opposite interests, opposite cultures? There's so many things, opposite values, opposite attachment styles. Um, I personally do feel like I am living in an opposites attract relationship in a, in that external kind of shallow sense, but there's a lot of deeper things that are very different about me and my partner. Like we come from opposite cultures, not, not necessarily opposite, but very different cultures. Um, we come from different continents. We come from, you know, different interests. We come from different ways of communicating different languages. So I think that for me, that is, that has been very true. Um, but I also think going back to like what you just said of the reason you're attracted to someone might end up being why you go to therapy. I do think we're naturally attracted to people who are different. Um, there's definitely something to be said about the comfort of being with someone who's like you, because then there's so much you don't have to explain. Mm. Um, and I think both types of relationships can work and both can also not work. So I I don't know. I don't know if I can really give like a definitive answer, but I do think there's a, a beauty and like almost like a natural thing of like the yin and yang or you know that whole concept is just like the balance of nature for me it works for someone else it might not work I think it's there's also has to be an intention behind it if you are going to be in a relationship where you're very different from that person you're going to have to do probably a lot more intentional work to get on the same page about a lot of things which I don't think is a bad thing because I think bringing things to light and being more intentional is great and it will build a healthy strong foundation whereas if I were dating someone who is very similar and had a very similar upbringing culturally religiously values wise we would just probably do a lot of things by default and we would never talk about them and then we could get you know 10 20 years down the line and be like wait do I actually believe this or are we just doing this because it's easy Hmm. yeah and and that kind of goes to a little bit more of like doing that work yourself as an individual, um, on like understanding what those values are and, and why you hold those values so that when you bring it to a relationship, it's intentional. Even if you don't, even if it's like, oh yeah, we're both this religion. Cool. We don't really need to talk about that anymore. If religion is something that's important to you, like at least you as an individual come to it knowing why, and hopefully they do too. So that like, you don't run into that 20 years later questioning it thing. Um, I think that's helpful. And you talked a lot about culture and upbringing, which I find very relevant. And a lot of the Boo fam did too, when submitting questions. So I want to jump into something that was written in, um, which is, well, a couple questions and you can kind of cherry pick how you want to answer this, whether it's like on a more macro scale or you want to dig into them. But I think some of the questions that we got were around having a difference in culture, upbringing, setting boundaries with in-laws and like how your family and where you come from fits into your relationship and creating like your life moving forward with a new person. So there was a question around, yeah, things you'd suggest addressing with in-laws before starting a family of your own or before marrying a person or something like that, Um, how to raise children from two different ethnic backgrounds or racial backgrounds um, with an appreciation for both cultures, both religions, whatever the the mix is. 
Um, those were a few of them. So I'd love to just talk more about this topic in general of like, what are the best ways to go about, let's say, entering a relationship with someone who does come from a very different family setup or cultural background than you? How, how can that, how does that work well? How, how do we make that work? Yeah. Okay. So, so much in there. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. I love it. I, I could talk about this for hours and I don't want this to ever end. Um, so <laughs> it's not a problem for me. Um, I think, gosh, okay. So with, and you know, my imposter syndrome does come through in my, in my heart a lot, just because I am a, so new to being a therapist and I'm in a pretty new relationship. I've been with my partner for three years, but in the scheme of things, like that's so short, um, in, in, you know, if we're intending to be together for the rest of our lives. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. I don't want to act like I'm this expert, but this is just my opinion. I think with raising children with like a mixed culture, uh, customs, religion, that kind of thing. It's interesting because that's kind of where I came from. And, um, so my, my parents aren't actually not immigrants, but my, my grandparents were on my mom's side. And so growing up, we were very raised in a very Russian household, speaking Russian, um, like going to church, Russian church, going to Russian camp. And my whole childhood, I basically just had this identity of like, I'm Russian. And I didn't really see myself as anything else. (laughs) And then only when I was, you know, in like later in life, junior high or high school, I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm I'm actually American. (laughs) Like how crazy is it that you could, I could be born and raised in this country and not realize that I'm like, I'm actually American. So it's just kind of, that's just like my context. Um, Being with someone who is Bolivian and I am Russian American, I think we, we talk about this a lot. And I think it's all a matter of, I'm going to always keep going back to this, knowing what's important to you. And the other person has to know what's important to them and bringing that to the table. Like knowing where can I, where do I need to be fully myself and where can I kind of compromise and where can I not compromise? And what do I want? What do we want to teach our children? I don't think it's that crazy to bring those things up earlier on in a relationship. If you see that you're very, you come from a very different upbringing with your partner. Like I remember telling um, Alfie, you know, I really want to get married in my church. That's something that's really important to me. And I'm not going to get married, not in my church. Other things we could talk about, we can talk about how we're going to do X, Y, Z, but that's something that for me is like really, really important. And I'm not going to compromise on that. For him, it might be, I want to raise my kids speaking Spanish and I'm not going to compromise on that. And so it's just a matter, I think, of knowing what is important to you and bringing those to the table and just having conversations about that and actively intentionally deciding on what you're going to do moving forward versus just assuming that it's going to be one way or the other based on this default expectation. Because I think that's kind of what happened in my upbringing where it was this default expectation that everything is going to be all about Russia (laughs) Um, because that's, that was just like the dominant culture. I don't think that, I don't know, maybe my parents did sit down and decide that that was best, but I don't know if they did that, you know? And I think, I, I always think being intentional is better than not. 
Mm-hmm. So that's my, my answer to culture, customs, and religions. It's just like, it's a really touchy thing to bring up, but if you are in a healthy relationship with someone and you plan on being with them for the long haul, you've got to be able to talk about those things, even if it's painful. And even if it takes months and years to come to any kind of like resolution, you, you just have to keep bringing them up. Yeah. I think that's a really good reminder too, is like, Sometimes I know I've experienced this, like having a fear of bringing something up because it feels like if you bring it up, then the result of that conversation is it. And really when you're, at least when you're in like a committed relationship that you're intending to be long-term, like there need to be many conversations about these things. So don't be afraid to bring something up for fear that like, I'm going to say something that they disagree with in this one initial conversation. And then it's going to be over. If you do have that fear, like you're probably not in the right relationship. Like you shouldn't be afraid of, you know, bringing those things up with your partner. But if it's really nothing that your partner's doing to make you feel that way, and it's just, you're in your head and you're anxious about it. Like the intention is that this will be an ongoing conversation. If if you two are committed to each other in that way, you know? Yes. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, um, I, I believe that the, the relationship should be a place where you can bring anything to the table. And not, I'm obviously talking about every topic, not just this one. Yeah. And there's definitely certain tricks and tips to like knowing your partner and knowing not to bring things up when they're driving through a snowstorm. Right. Uh, that's a personal example. Oh, I'm very good <laughs> at bringing things up at the worst time. I love to bring things up at two in the morning when my partner has to get to work at like 8 a.m., I love it. It it revs my engine to be like, hey, right now is when I need to let you know that I'm really upset about this thing. <laughs> right, right. There's definitely like some logistical things that can make those things better. But at the end of the day, you have to know and trust that your partner, you can bring anything to your partner. And, it, and like you said, it doesn't have to be the first or the last conversation. These things are ongoing because we're always learning and evolving ourselves. So naturally those conversations have to evolve too, and we have to keep them in the loop. Um, so yeah, I think, um, if if you're not able to have those conversations, you either need to do some work on yourself or maybe find a different person because it's all about that feeling that you get with that person. And if you don't feel safe to bring those things up, I would say next. Yeah. Thank you. Next. Um, okay. Kind of similar question, but different topic area instead of differences in like cultural background. And let's dig into upbringing more and specifically like financial background and kind of expectations around that. So there was a question um, that ties this in like financial background. And so I guess there's two ways to think about it. Like in general, you know, one person in the relationship coming from a more well-off background than the other, maybe also current day making more money than the other. I think that's like one aspect of it. And then a very specific question that somebody submitted that maybe could weave into this topic is around how financial um, considerations play into gender roles. And so this person wrote, how do gender roles in your parents' relationship affect how you view gender roles in your own? So for example, Um, her boyfriend, let's say his dad was the sole breadwinner in uh, that marriage and the mom was a stay-at-home mom. Does that make 
this guy more likely to like expect that type of dynamic in his relationship moving forward? I know that there's not a clear yes or no to something like that. And it's very personal, but finances, gender roles, how does this all uh, factor in when you're, when you're talking to couples who are struggling (laughs) or not struggling, but want to make sure that they're good? (laughs) Yeah. I think that your parents' relationship affects you so much, like so much more than we realize. Um, maybe it's just the way that I've been trained in school and the way that we've learned about how important your family unit, we call it the family of origin. Um, it's like, it's just this super important unit and your parents' relationship is the most important relationship in that unit because it it sets the tone for everything, not just necessarily gender roles, but like how we show and receive love and how we, um, how we argue and how, all these things. So I, I do think on a bit, very basic level, whatever you were raised with is probably what you're going to think is normal up, a, up to a point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom for many, many, many years. She had four kids, all very spaced out. So she had a lot of time spent at home being a stay-at-home mom. And up until I was, <laughs> I don't know how old I was, but I was definitely older than one should be. I remember my friend said like, oh, my mom's a doctor. And I was like, what? Like (laughs) moms work? Like, I I just didn't know that. And that's, I know, you know, fast forward to 2022, that sounds ridiculous, obviously to say. And granted, we had a a lot of privilege growing up. I grew up in Connecticut. We grew up with having everything we needed. My dad worked and supported us. So we definitely, I didn't grow up in a situation where like clearly not, I guess a lot of my friends' moms did the same thing. Now, that was a learning moment for me whenever that happened, when I was like a preteen or something. Mm -hmm. And it kind of lit up a light bulb in me like, oh my gosh, like moms can work. That's like such a novel concept. And, you know, I go along my life and now I'm 30 years old. And I'm, of course, like I I know that I want to have a career. I'm, I'm on my way to having a career. I don't want a man to just take care of me and like pay for everything, but there's definitely a little seed that's still in me. That's like, but part of me kind of feels like, yeah, like if I'm going to have the kids, then like my husband should, you know, be out there making money. If I'm literally birthing a child and taking care of it for the first year of its life. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't want to be like shunned from (laughs) peaking for saying that. No, please. I think that's just deep, like a very core thing. That's hard to untangle and the work of becoming a therapist or just becoming an adult, a reflective adult is saying, what did I learn in childhood that no longer resonates with me, my beliefs, maybe society's beliefs. You know, we had a lot of shitty things that we used to believe were true and we're starting to untangle them, but it takes time. So if I believed something for the first 15 years of my life, it's going to be, it's going to take that much time to like untangle that from myself. So I do think deep down, those things do stay with us and they do affect us. Now, after you become an adult, I think you have the responsibility to change and work on any beliefs that no longer work for you and for your life. So I don't think we can necessarily say like, well, my dad was the breadwinner, so um, you're not going to work. Like, mm-hmm. obviously that's so silly and, and, and simplified, but I do think that these are the things that we talk about and reveal in therapy that help us understand why we are the way that we are and how we can move forward in a more healthy way. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It's funny. My mom was a working mom, career woman type, and I'm trying to untangle that so that I can just let somebody take care of me. (laughs) I don't want to do anything. Right. Um, (laughs) No, I think that that's right. And I think, um, so I think what I would say back to this BooFam member is, is your partner like aware of that and thinking about it and like, like just knowing that that's the way they grew up isn't enough to inform how they're going to be in the future. It's more like, okay, this is how they grew up. Do they still think that way? Is it something that they're aware of and trying to untangle? Um, and how does that work for me and where I come from and what I want for my life? So yeah, um, maybe it works perfectly together. Who knows? But if if it doesn't, that has to be brought to the surface in a really honest way. And, uh, you use the word aware awareness. I think awareness is like the number one message that I'm trying to get through this whole conversation is like, how aware are you of yourself? And that will inform everything about your relationship. This has been amazing. I have so many more questions that I would love to talk about. And like, we didn't even scratch the surface of like the outline we had, like, but we talked for so long. I really appreciate it. And I think that people are going to learn a lot from this and, you know, maybe you need to be like a, a regular segment, like once a season or something where we do like relationship therapy for me, uh, on air because I feel better. (laughs) Okay. I love it. I would love to come back anytime. I could truly talk about these topics for hours on end. And I know you could too. So I, I just had such a good time talking to you. I'm so honored and I hope that I can come back. Thanks, Tosh. You're the best. You're a brilliant ray of sunshine and don't have imposter syndrome because you know what you're talking about and you just taught oh me a my lot. Gosh. Well, thank you just for creating that space. And oh my, I didn't even talk about my peaking moment, but you know what? I'll just tell you privately. Okay. Oh, like a recent <laughs> peaking moment. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Okay. We're going to have a follow-up phone call. Thanks again for joining for this episode of Peking. If you want more Peking, make sure to follow on Instagram at Peking Podcast. You can also follow me, your host, Jess DeBakey at Jay-Z DeBakey on Instagram. I have a website. I don't keep it up to date as much as I should, but it's pekingpodcast.com. And if you want to send me, you know, the story of your life, something a little bit longer form than we can handle in the DMs, pekingpodcast at gmail.com is the place to go. All right. I will see you in a couple weeks. Talk to you soon, Boo fam. I remembered that I made an iced coffee that I want to be consuming. So let me just go get it. One second. Okay.